0: Just look at the fucking bums you hang around with. What is nothing? Yeah, that's deep. What in the fuck are we doing here? Uh-huh. What is something? That's deep, bro. That's Deep Bro. I'm your host, Christina P. Thank you for downloading this episode of That's Deep Bro. I have so much to get into with you today. I'm very excited to get back to the show. Uh, This is my favorite thing to do. Hello, is talk to you. Um, Ow! Oh, mother of fuck! Oh, I just hit my kneecap. Is there anything worse in life? No, there is. (laughs) Oh, fuck your mother. Anyways, let's start with some business. Firstly, I'm doing stand-up September 22nd and 23rd uh, in St. Louis, Tits, Missouri at um, Helium Comedy Club. Come out and see me. Do stand-up if you live there. Uh, October 3rd, Nashville, Tennessee at Zany's Comedy Club. October 4th, Charlotte, North Carolina at the Comedy Zone. And then October 8th, your mom's house live in uh, Spermvine, California. So... Definitely, please check out my live dates. Yeah, there you go. Okay, let's get into it, guys. I uh, oh, I didn't get my song ready. What's wrong with me? Um, oh, I like modest mouse. I'm in a modest mouse sort of feeling this week. I gotta be honest with you. I uh, I am always honest with you guys. I do feel a little, uh, a little heavy this week. I've had some, uh, some dramas. I'll get into it, but let's do, oh, this is the song I like. Okay guys, here we go. Agrees with this watch of mine, and I know that I miss you. And I'm sorry if I missed you. Eating All right, you there you go, Modest the Mouse. And a paper a- of a- playing. I like that song, it's called Trailer Trash. Yeah. Anyway. Hi, thank you. Welcome to my YouTube channel. If you're watching me, I'm on YouTube channels called Christina P. I, um, I had an email request asking for back episodes. I guess a lot of times iTunes will only put a certain number of episodes up at a time. And if I unlock all the past ones, like if I override that, what's going to happen is your, uh, you will be flooded with a bunch of new downloads. If you subscribe to the show, which I hope you do, um, you'll be flooded with back episodes and I don't want to screw up your iPhone storage because we've made that mistake on your mom's house. So if you would like to listen to previous episodes that I've done on that's deep bro, go to that's deep bro and there's a page under listen, click on listen and uh, there's an RSS feed. That's what that's called. RSS feed. Click on the RSS feed link and it'll take you to the RSS page. And that has every episode ever, ever, ever of that steep Bro from the very, very beginning. So you can go back and binge listen because I've been getting emails from people that have been binging the show and they want to go back into the vaults back in the beginning of this show. So there you go. Um, shit, man, I forgot to plug my Amazon. Hey, guys, if you're shopping for the holidays, which I hope you are, do it using my banner. Uh, go to com. Click on the banner at the bottom of the homepage You're shopping as you normally would. Just kicks back some change to the show. I highly recommend using Amazon for the, the holiday shopping. Why are you, you know, if you're traveling to meet your family, don't you dare buy a ton of packages and, and fly with packages. Are you crazy? Do you know what the TSA does to you? By the way, if you try to carry on boxes that are wrapped, you're going to be read the riot act. They're going to go through all your stuff. Don't risk it. Instead, just shop on Amazon and have it shipped to the person that you're visiting or whatever. It's just so much easier. And use my banner. Come on, Canada. I got Canada. I got the UK. I got the United States. That's all they let us do. Sorry, other countries listening. There you go. That's the business. Okay. So uh, listen, I got to be honest with you guys as I am on this show. That's what this is all about because I, I can't stand um bullshit television shows, bullshit podcasts. I have fucking zero tolerance for small talk, unless it's ridiculous, like on your mom's house where we, but we're very honest on that show too. There's not a lot of bullshit on your mom's house. Um, I've had kind of an emotional week. Uh, I went through some stuff with someone. I'm not going to get into the details cause it's kind of irrelevant at the end of the day, I think. Uh, and to make this relatable to people, I don't want to talk about details of the, of life, but, um, yeah, so, something happened and, and, uh, And, uh, you know, at first you go through kind of the shock of something and then, and then I, you know, what I do, I don't know if you do it. I like to really, I like to really ruminate over stuff, go over it in my head and, and, uh, really, really hammer out the angles and get extra neurotic, um, and just turn over every leaf and rock and nook and cranny of everything. And it's so exhausting. And I I've learned over time that uh, the reason I do that, it's not because I'm I'm super, you know philosophical, analytical, whatever. It's that I don't want to feel the feelings associated with whatever's happening. And uh, rather than feel stuff, I like to ruminate and just really, intellectualize the problem or the situation or the thing or the blah, 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 blah. And, uh, and so I really made an attempt this week to feel stuff instead of think about stuff. And I have to say that, you know, if I'm not, you know me, I really hate feelings. I've been raised to hate feelings. My parents were, you know, not, we weren't like a touchy feely households. I don't, you know, um, and so it's very much a challenge for me uh, to do that. But you know what? I decided? I was like, you know what i'm gonna I'm gonna get old school on this on the sadness of what's happening here. i'm gonna I'm instead of getting angry because I do get angry in fights we all do. I was like, you know what the truth is. The truth of it is I'm actually really sad that this is happening or that X, y, and z has occurred and and I think they say in psychology or whatever that anger is just like repressed sadness about stuff. And uh, and I was like, I'm gonna go old school on the sadness right here, bitch. That's what's up. I'm gonna dig up some Sisters of Mercy. I'm gonna I'm gonna listen to some Marianne. I'm gonna put on some dark clothes, like I why well, I normally wear a black. But, um and I'm uh, I'm just gonna sit in it and I'm gonna see what happens. And I think for a lot of people, myself. Uh, particularly, the the thought of like allowing yourself to be bummed out is really scary. Uh, I think a lot of us are afraid of feeling stuff because it's like, well, where does this rabbit hole go? If I if I allow the sadness, if I allow this to, um, if I allow these feelings to come, what will I do with them? How will I contain them? How will I be a mess? Will I not be able to, you know, get out of bed? Will I be? crippled? Will I be unable to do my work? And this and that and that and, that and here's what I found. And I don't know if you've ever had somebody close die, die, um, excuse me, but a weird thing happens when someone dies and that's like you, for a minute, you take a break obviously from life. Like, oh, I don't know how long you take. It's up to you, but there is a point where you go back to living when somebody close dies and it's very surreal to be like, wait, I'm just supposed to go and get in the car and go to work and buy groceries and cook breakfast for my family? Yeah. Yeah, you do, but you do it carrying the sadness a little, you know? And you kind of go you you it's the same with performing. I don't know if if you're a performer, but uh in stand-up, look, the half the battle of being a stand-up comedian is is not it's not about it is about being funny, but like it, it's that most of the time you're not gonna feel like it. And if I did stand up when I felt like doing stand-up, that would be I do one show a year. The the actually the the real battle with being a comic or a performer is that you do it anyways. You do it in spite of. You do it carrying whatever it is that you're going through. It's not like it's not like life is always in these ideal conditions and then you're like, "Great, I'm going to go do a show now." Sometimes that does happen and that's a maze. fantastic. Um, but I've had I in my own personal life, you've had I've had really horrendous things happen and then I and coming to the stage is Christina P and you're like, "Oh my god." <laughs> Like I've had severe medical things going on and I've still performed. I've had, you know, very emotional traumatic things personally happen. And then, you know, you get up and you perform. Now, does that mean that you push everything down and you suppress the feelings? No. In fact, what I think creative people learn to do is you channel that sadness into something positive. You can actually channel these emotions into something productive Uh, you know, if you're a writer that's sitting down and and writing and I think so many times we go, but I can't be creative if I have something fucked up happening. I can't be creative if, you know, the sky is falling right now and, uh, you know, there are really no ideal conditions and, and the same goes for when something sad happens in your life. Like, so the point is I, I kind of just lived my life this week and I allowed the sadness. So I lived and I allowed the sadness to kind of walk with me. And I didn't push it away for the first time in my life. Like I'm really good at pushing away, uh, you know, sad feelings. And I, I thought, well, what, let's just do an experiment and let's really marinate and let's go, let's, let's put on some Bauhaus and let's get weird. And, uh, and, uh, so yeah, I, I'm out of it now. It took about, you know, four or five days of just kind of being in a, in a weird place and, uh, I feel okay now. And what's happened is acceptance of this particular situation that I'm in acceptance. And I, and I, you know, and, and I think some wounds, honestly, it, it, the reason I tell people to go to therapy is not that you, you're all your life's problems are going to be fixed and you'll never be sad again. And it's going to make your life perfect. It's not that it's that there's always going to be certain things, right? You're always going to have wounds. There's always going to be something that's there, but at least it's, it's managed and it's con- contained and you, you have the tools now to navigate through life. Um, like I was talking to somebody about what, well, what separates resilient people from, from lesser, res- less resilient people. Um, cause you know, I've known people that are like, have been through things that I, I couldn't even fathom, right? Like, don't you know, people who have just been through the ringer and then and then you talk about your life with them and you're like, I can't even believe I'm bringing this up. I'm sorry. I know that you've been through like horrible, horrible stuff. You know, you compare your tragedy to their tragedy and decide that your tragedy is way inferior, which isn't right, by the way. Everybody has their own uh, dramas and tragedies to live out. But um, what was the point? Oh, the point of resiliency is that I think what, w- one of the keys to being resilient, uh, is it genetic? Yeah. I think certain people are predisposed to being more resilient than others. Um, but I also think there's an ability of, of resilient people to kind of go with the flow a bit more, uh, at least what i've witnessed is a, a real acceptance of what is is fantastic and resilient people. I was having lunch with a with a friend yesterday who's been through some stuff uh with with an ex. And um, and I was like, oh, that's really. And I, oh, she was talking about it very matter-of-factly, and and it looked as though she had dealt with the feelings of it. And, and I thought, well, that's so cool. Like that's that's the trait that I'm uh, really fascinated by. Like you can go through something, it can bum you out, you can come through the other side of it, and you do that over and over. So it's not that we can't handle stuff happening, because stuff's always going to happen. You can handle it. That's the thing. You're just you're learning to handle stuff better. You've got the tools to handle it. And that's when stuff goes wrong is when we don't have the right tools uh, to handle stuff. And then you freak out and get high and overeat and gamble and cheat on your spouse and burn it all down. And self-sabotage is uh, is when you don't process feelings, right? So the whole point of therapy is to process feelings um, is what I'm saying. And acceptance is a big one too. Oh boy, is that ever, is that ever, you know, and part of a, what I'm dealing with part of it is the acceptance of what is, you know, I think, uh, a lot of times we, I don't know if you've, you've been in something with somebody and you're acting a certain way and they keep acting a certain way. And then they just keep acting the way they've been acting. And then you're surprised, right? And I'm like, Oh no, why am I surprised? <laughs> why am I shocked every time? You know, it's, uh, it's like my dog, Bitsy. She's, she's not very bright. She's a purebred Brussels, which I'm my favorite, but um, not the brightest dog. And every every time I take her, I take the dogs out to go potty together. And without fail, Bitsy knows the route. She knows exactly how we walk to the, the door every time. Without fail, that dog will get right in front of my feet every time. And then I'll have to kick her a little bit. Come on, man. You're, Bitsy, Bitsy. And I have to... I have to, you know, reprimand the dog for being in my way, but she knows what's going to happen every time. And then she still puts herself in a position to get kicked. You know what I'm saying? And I think that's also part of this game of life is like, Oh, Oh shit. I'm about to get kicked again by this situation, this scenario, this thing. Uh, I better get out of the way. And uh and that, that, that comes from a radical acceptance of, of what is, which is uh again, I think part of being resilient and part of the battle of of all of this life, right? Of of life, because nothing is the same, everything changes and man, I don't want to be that dog getting kicked over and over. <laughs> Fucking Bitsy's <he's> so stupid. <laughs> what a dope. Um I had this wonderful epiphany um this week too watching my toddler who has wholeheartedly embraced the word no. And I didn't know this about children. I don't know this. I didn't know nothing about child development before I had a kid. But I'm finding it really, really fascinating that one of the first words that a child learns is no. And one of the first things that little kids do is say no over and over and over again. No do you want to put on your socks? No. Do you want to have dinner? No. Do you want to get in the car? No. No. And they even say no when they mean yes, because they're just, they're learning that they're separate beings and they can say no to stuff. And I I was like, oh, fuck, I didn't even know that, man. Like I didn't even, I I, I didn't even know that that was like an innate thing in humans that we are hardwired from, Day twenty one, I don't know whatever day he. That's month twenty one where he's at. But uh, you're wired very early to assert really firm boundaries with people, <laughs> and then over time those boundaries get eroded and you get uh, they're not honored by whoever's raising you, and then you learn to stop saying no, and then before you know it, you're uh, a codependent mess. And you're helping everyone else do everything and then you're not taking care of your own self and then you're getting resentful. So very interesting um, that that is one of the first things that we do as people is no, 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 no. And there's no, he has no problem saying it. He says it all the time. No, no, no. (laughs) And I, I love it. I fucking love it because every time he does it, I was like, look at you, look at you. That shit took me 10 years of therapy, (laughs) 10 years in psychotherapy, you know, thousands of dollars to learn how to say no. Something that my 21 month old has picked up, uh, just like that innately now, no, no. Ah, man, we all got to get back to the no. That's the whole point of the show, right? Getting back to that that primal no. You want to do that? No. You want to go work a job you hate? No. You want to get married to someone you don't like? No. You want to be overweight and, and, and hopeless? No. There you go. I just thought it was really, really interesting, and uh, and that's my goal to get to get back to the firm no, and really to that sense of self because we all start off on this planet with a really, really strong sense of self and of boundary. See, at 21 months, my kid knows no means I do my thing. I'm asserting my personhood, right? And uh, and what happens is a lot of times parents will uh, override that stuff, you know. Oh, it's so heartbreaking, and and, you know what really makes me bonkers too. My kiddo, you know he's seen his grandmother um, a few times. They 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 don't live in the states, so they visit. And uh, we were at the beach, and my his grandmother offered Ellis a cookie, and Ellis was like, "No, no," and he he didn't want as much as he loves cookies. Cookies are the center of his universe. He didn't take it from her and. And uh, there was this immediate reaction in the family to chastise him for not taking a cookie from someone he didn't feel safe taking it from. And I was like, no, 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 do not override this kid's no. He's telling you right now, I don't know you well enough to take candy from you, basically, to take candy from, not a stranger, but not somebody I feel comfortable with. And I said, if you tell that kid now, like if you're overriding that inherent no, that that's how you erode somebody's personhood. That's how you ruin uh, that kid's sense of boundaries and self. Is like, no, you just let me override this. Let let the well-meaning grown-up teach you quote manners, and do do what you uh, don't want to do. So I refuse to override my kid's innate innate sense of what feels right and wrong. And I was like, and I said, I love my mother-in-law. I absolutely adore. Her. And I was like, listen, I know it feels hurtful to you that this kid doesn't want to take cookie from you. I think this is fantastic. (laughs) And I teach him all the time what a creep looks like. Don't even talk to that guy. That guy over there is a creep. That guy over there is a douchebag. I teach him all this stuff. And I, you know, you got to do it. Don't don't make fucking... I I hate when I see... uh, I hate when it's, uh, go hug so-and-so, go tell them you love them. And you're like, you don't even know them. a <laughs> the kid doesn't know. That might be their biological uncle, but he doesn't know that. Why am I going to force him to say I love you to somebody he doesn't even know? That's, and I know it's social, and I'm sure I'm going to raise, like, an anti-social nutbag like me. But whatever, you know, I don't... <laughs> maybe you just... I, I don't know. Call me crazy, but I, I hated that stuff when you were a kid and they told you to, you know... Be nice to somebody. Like, I don't even know this motherfucker. You be you fucking hug him. You think he's so great? <laughs> and that's not to say I, I believe in manners, though. I mean, one thing that makes me bonkers: kids that don't say hi and goodbye and shit like that. That's you know basic, basic manners. But, but hugging people get your life. Fuck that shit. Okay, let's uh, let's get into some emails. You want to know why you're all fucked up? Okay. You know, this one came in, uh, just yesterday. And it's one of those emails that really, really, I was like, Oh, my little heart, my little heart opened up and ached for this person. So I would like to read it to you. Okay. Um, I am 35 year. I am I'm a 35-year-old failed professional wrestler. Failure in the sense that I was never able to make it my full-time job and or earn an honest living doing so. I performed for 13 plus years but retired last year for a month before my son was born. I decided I could no longer pursue my own dreams and risk my physical well-being as my family's lives depend on me being able-bodied and earning money. So here I am a year later after retiring. My son is about to turn 1. I'm living with my girlfriend. I don't want to say where, and I'm working as a potato chip vendor trying to make trying my best to make ends meet but failing miserably. Money goes faster than it comes in and I'm not sure what to do next. Anyhow, to the point, I'm just not sure how to cope with failing and not particularly having the option to try harder or try again. All I've ever wanted was to be something more than I am, but seemingly can't even be mediocre. Well, in hindsight, I'm sad I didn't pursue comedy and realize that I still could, but right now it seems impossible. The parallels between stand-up and pro wrestling are scary similar as far as paying your dues and totally losing money for the first several years. Do I just bide my time until I can pursue something else? Do I just accept that life is hard for everyone right now and move on? I'm lost and miserable, bro. However, am indeed grateful for all the things I have, like a happy family, healthy family. And then he writes, if you like to watch my last match, here's the link. This is fantastic. So... He sends me the link and says, I hope you come to where I live. And then he encloses a picture of fantastic, fantastic. Okay. I have so many thoughts on this. (laughs) What a shocker. Uh, First of all, first of all, bro, I suggest you read the book, The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck. I think that would be really good for you at this time in your life. Uh, Okay. So that being said, uh, you're 35. Right. And, um, I don't, you can't, I don't know. Can you wrestle past 35 anyways? I think had you gone pro, had you, you know, become Hulk Hogan, I, I think you wouldn't have, excuse me, much time left on the clock to begin with. I'm not terribly familiar with the ins and outs of wrestling, but I I don't, I don't think you'd want to be beaten up at 40 anyways. So, so put it that way. And secondly, are you kidding me? You're not a failure at all. You've done it. You did it. I, you've, I'm you've i watching a match of you on YouTube and that you've gotten farther than most people ever would. And in my opinion, the failure is the person who doesn't even try stuff. Failures are the ones who are too chicken shit to even come up with a cool wrestling name and get in, in the ring metaphorically and literally with you. So you're definitely not, uh, you're definitely not a failure. And the fact that you did it and it, it looks to me like you enjoyed yourself doing it. And it looks to me too, like there's a, a kind of a natural time that you, you know, you do have to stop doing something physical like that. Cause you, you, you don't want to be paralyzed and, you know, screwed up by the time you're 40. Um, it sounds to me like you had a pretty great time. And a lot of people aren't able to do what they do creatively full time for a, for a really long time. So I, I think I I congratulate you on that. And then also, what is success really? And I think the the number one thing you have to think about is like, what do you define success as? Is it is it reasonable? You know, um, is it is it the multi million dollars? Is it a yacht? Is it? working a job where you have enough time to be with your family every day and just making enough money to like have basic needs met i think that's number 1 and that book the subtle art of not giving a fuck talks about um what your what your values are and that's like first and foremost what do you value most and then that's the the gauge by which you, you measure your life, right? Not, not uh, what, uh, I mean, look, you can compare yourself to, I don't know, sorry, I keep bringing up Paul Cogan because he's like the only one that I really know. Uh, you know, you can compare yourself to that guy who's like the one in gazillion, super famous wrestler, um, who's managed to, to, I guess, have endorsement deals and other things. And that guy's career is like one a gazillion, right? Or like put it on a reasonable scale. Like, dude, you, you did do it and you did it for 13 years and you did it for, uh, you stopped doing it for a great reason is that you have a family and, uh, there's, you know, great. You did it all in my opinion. Okay. So, but what do you do now? Uh, okay. Uh, here's what I see. And here's what I've learned about all this stuff. Yes. There are natural physical limitations on pro wrestling, How do you deal with the failure of not being able to do it again? Because you really, you can't. Okay, let's be honest. Like unless there's some geriatric uh, wrestler's league I'm not aware of where they encourage people to break their hips and stuff, you know, it's just not going to happen. But uh, here's what I glean from life in general. is like sometimes when you can't get the exact form of the thing you want, there's a reason. Um, I think there was a time in my career where I, I wanted really badly to be like an actor or host or something. And I was like, but I was always kind of, I always missed the mark on it. You know what I mean? Like I, whatever it was, I wasn't right. I wasn't really suited for it, but I knew that there were essences, parts of the thing I was shooting for that I inherently liked. So what I mean by that is, um, I would look at the elements that you really liked about wrestling there has to be something in it. And is it the physicality that you enjoyed? Was it the performative aspects that you enjoyed? Uh, Was it the shit talking? I don't know. Was it the choreography? Was it, what is it? And I would glean the, the essence of it, right? Take, take the morsels of, uh, of what you really enjoyed. For instance, this is a perfect example. For so many years, Um, like I was on a reality show a million years ago called road rules. This is in the nineties. This is before really the internet before anything, anything. And my whole life, I always said, I wish I could just fucking make a living being myself. And I said that in the nineties and this is before podcasting came along. So it took a long time before this thing called podcasts came along and now I can make a living being myself saying crazy stuff on the internet and like, it just took, uh, you know, a couple of decades for the technology to meet up with the essence of what I really, really like doing, which is this talking shit, talking to, uh, everyday people about, about stuff that matters. Okay. So, uh, I think my, in the past I've been like, I think I want to be an actor. Like not really. That's not the essence of what it is. Not that I don't enjoy acting and stuff every now and then, but it's not really the core of the joy that I felt the joy is for me, like connecting with people talking about shit that matters. i um, talking about things people don't normally talk about. Like I I like that. And there, it just wasn't available until podcasts came around. So I don't know my advice to you. Like it sounds like, and, and also I think a lot of people don't, what a lot of people think is like, well, I'm going to quit this thing and then I'm going to leap into my own, my second career. And there's not going to be this interim where I have a day job that I may not love, but it's paying the bills. So I think, be thankful for the the chip vendor is that what you do the chip vendor business that yeah it's barely covering your ass right now but it is paying the bills and you know when i was in my crummy day jobs i always was thankful for the crummy day job cuz you go like yeah i'm not going to be here forever i know that i know that and you know that right like you're not going to be the chip guy forever. This is kind of a stepping stone to whatever it is you're going to be in the future. So use the use the be thankful for the paycheck that's keeping you afloat now as you plot your exit and you plot your way into the next whatever next form of employment you will have. Maybe it's coaching something. Maybe it's can you teach other people to wrestle? That's kind of crazy. I don't know. Maybe you could open up a fucking pro wrestling school and teach people how to like build a wrestler's persona or whatever. Maybe it's starting a YouTube channel on wrestling. Maybe it's starting a podcast about wrestling. Maybe it's, um, I don't know, you know, maybe you're the guy that sells wrestlers memorabilia online and makes your money that way. Like there are so many ways to make a living now because of the internet. Uh, You're really not limited that way by your physicality or where you're located. So I don't know, man. Um, I don't think you're you failed at anything. I think you you kind of would have to have transitioned into something else at your age, anyways. Um Yeah. And and no, don't accept life is hard for everyone and move on. No, 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 no. Yes, bide your time until you can pursue something else. Absolutely. Be thankful for the chip job. Go in with a great attitude every day and thank your lucky stars you have the job that brings in the money to keep your family alive. In the meantime, on the weekends, on your free moments, plot your way out. Plot your way to the next thing. You know, find your way, dude. But um, I I think you sound like a fucking winner to me, dude. The loser is the asshole who stays in the crummy town around the same shitty people and then talks smack about you doing the thing you're doing. The loser is the one who uh is hateful about what you're doing and is telling you what a piece of shit you are and and how dare he think he fancy yeah well maybe you are fancy uh those are the losers by the way and i've learned that time and time again don't listen to the losers listen to the fucking winners bro fly with the eagles fuck don't fuck with them don't fuck with them turtles right isn't that what td jake says the turtles are the on the bottom fuck with them turtles go with the drafts the drafts eat the high leaves okay let is oh so this is great this is for gina this email came in there was a girl in the last episode or in 135 um who had all these symptoms like it was like eczema and then you know uh, kidney problems it was like all these these problems and so this person writes in i hope you can forward this message message to gina for me Around the same age, 23 slash 24, my body started to fall apart. I had tons of symptoms and saw numerous specialists to figure out what was going on. My whole family thought I was just a hypochondriac and didn't believe something was actually wrong. Um, Heart palpitations this person had. My primary care physician decided to test for celiac disease, and guess what happened? I tested positive. Now many people think that celiac only causes intestinal problems, but that couldn't be more untrue. Celiac can cause acne, rash, weight gain, brain fog, mood swings, joint pain, high blood pressure, and many more. Uh, so, Gina, get tested for celiac. Why not? Not a signs, not a doctor, Patrick. Yeah, I know, right? Hilarious. Who knows, dude? Who knows? Okay, so this is kind of on the heels. Of the last question. Okay. Um my name is Daniel. (laughs) Hope I can read your name. Okay, yeah. (laughs) My name is Daniel and I'm a nineteen year old electrician's apprentice. Great gig. I you know, I've always said I fucking love people that can do stuff like that, like practical stuff. Part of me for a long time wanted to quit comedy and like Learn how to change people's oil in their cars or like paint houses or do their electricity, right? Because you're always going to work. That's the thing. You're always going to or Be like a handy, handy woman. I'm a man. <laughs> you're always going to work because fucking dumb idiots like me can't do anything. I'm a 19-year-old electrician's apprentice. Over the last couple of years, my patience for school has gone down significantly and I dropped out of college. My parents, after realizing I was very unhappy with my situation, understood and accepted my choice, but told me I have to start working full-time. That's good. Those are good parents. So I got a full-time job working for an electric company. Um, Okay. I don't mind working there in the beginning and actually enjoyed it. I find it very hard to find the motivation to work now. I love music and I've been obsessed with playing guitar and songwriting for a few years now. While I'm at work, all I can think about is playing guitar and writing songs. Then when I get home, I stay up until the a.m. playing guitar, which really makes it harder for me to get up and work in the morning. And I often find myself pacing back and forth around the shop, writing song lyrics or listening to music I recorded the night before instead of doing work. My parents and other people always tell me how great of an opportunity my job is and how lucky I am. And while I appreciate the opportunity, I don't enjoy doing this job. And I think I'm scared I'll never be happy working a regular full-time job. I feel like a shithead because my parents are always telling me that I'll have to do music on my days off. And working is what adults do. I don't want to be the old man who played it safe and is always dreaming about what could have been. I'm coming to the realization that my reality doesn't have to be everybody else's. And I will have to suffer in certain aspects of my life so I can thrive in others. So my question is, when did you realize you had to sacrifice a stable source of income for what you love doing? And, what did you, and how did you make the leap towards that decision? Okay, thank you. Keep getting your life high and tight. Okay, mommy, this is such a great question. I'm so glad. I feel like we've been getting this. This is the, the, the flux of emails. So uh, Daniel... Your parents mean well. Let's start with that. I think any parent that tells you to stick with a good job is not trying to spirit crush you. They're not trying to stifle your creativity. It's not personal. Just know that, that I think parents, the intent is like, hey, dude, (laughs) you want to be a musician? Uh, You and everybody else get in line. Here's the thing. If you have a trade, you can fall back on it. So it's a practical thing. Um, And also kind of an ideal thing for you. Um, What you're doing right now is exactly what you should be doing in order to pursue the music career. I think a lot of people watch The Secret and, uh, you know, listen to Tony Robbins and they misunderstand the inspirational message of, you can do anything. You can be anything. Quit your day job. They they take you can do anything you can manifest anything as a literal just stop your day job stop your stream of income and go start your business and that is just not practical financial advice uh, you know I we all love Oprah and I love all these inspirational folks and without them I would not have gotten to where I think I I am today but know that there's a whole space in between <laughs> getting what you want and um, and starting. So do not poo-poo the day jobs, my little boo-boos. Never poo-poo the income that is allowing you to breathe easy and to sleep at night because you're not starving and you're not homeless. So um, keep the day job. And it sounds to me like you enjoy what you're doing. I think being an electrician is like a fucking awesome gig. You can always work and when you're in between music gigs. Uh, maybe, maybe you end up being like in a band and in the beginning, you know, you tour and then in your off touring seasons, you do electrician work to pay the bills. Many, many bands have done that where, you know, you're not touring so how do you make money that's a huge thing so this is a great skill that may carry you through your music career for a while until you're making so much money that when you're not touring it's not so detrimental um but like i said the misconception is like i'm going to quit everything i'm going to stop everything and i'm going to throw all my energy and resources into this new thing and because the universe will provide and i will take leap of faith it'll all happen and everything perfect no 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 at least in my life, is not how it worked. I had a day job for many, many years, longer than I thought I would have to. There was a point where I was on Chelsea Lately, um, like once every two two weeks, and I still had a day job. (laughs) And I was like working in this office where I was on television the night before and somebody would come in and be like, didn't I just see you last night on Chelsea Lately? And I'm like, yeah. And I was answering phones and stapling things together. And... And, um, you know, filing mail away and doing errands. So, and that wasn't that, that long ago when you think about Chelsea lately for me was like 2010 or something like that. So, Hey, and and it took a long time for me to become a full-time comedian, full-time podcaster, many years. So for some people, yeah. Does it happen quicker? Absolutely. Am I the, I don't know. I don't know where I fall in the terms of like how quickly it happens, but, um, but be thankful for your, the job that's not that inspiring. And I'll tell you why there, I did the same exact thing. I go into my day jobs and I would literally sit there with my notebook and write jokes in between answering phone calls. And I would also take my life experience that I had at these jobs and turn them into comedy. Cause guess what? You're only going to be a better artist with life experience, surprise! Not everything is gleaned from the internet, the interwebs. I was going to say, not not everything, not all of human existence is rooted in this. There's a whole world of actual things that can happen and in interactions that make you a better musician, writer, comedian, artist, whatever it is you're doing. You have to have the meat and the dirt and the sweat and the sadness and the joy. Of life, all of it, in order to be a better communicator, to tell your story more effectively, etc., etc., etc. So, I mean, what's the alternative, Daniel? Just quit, quit the electrician thing, and then I'm a full time musician, guys. I'm 19. Like, here's what you do. Here's what I would suggest you do: uh, learn as much as you can about this electrician business. Get really good at that. So now you do have a skill to fall back on. I, for a long time, had, I think I was doing search engine optimization. (laughs) There was a time where I learned how to do that stuff. And so I had one client or two clients, and I was a feature act, and that supplemented my income. So I would spend you know X amount of hours a week doing search engine optimization, which wasn't my dream in life. But I got a paycheck from that, and I was able to, you know, keep working. It's the hustle, dude. It's the hustle. And it's a long game. I, I don't know any business owners or any successful people who are like, I quit my day job. The next day I'm a millionaire doing the thing I've wanted to do. So it's, it is a process. And the self-help gurus, the Tony Robbins and the whoever's of the world don't want to tell you that it's just a longer, it's a long game. It's a, it's a marathon grind, especially if you're in the arts. That's just, it's a self-generated marathon. And it it does have to be, it ha- you have to be a self-starter, you know, self-motivated. Because you're waiting for your mommy or your daddy to tell you to go out and make music or art or whatever. Good luck. It, it, it has to come from in you. And it's a long haul. So I think it takes a long time, boo-boos. So keep doing your music. And when you're at your job and you're bored, think of your songs. Why not? Think of that. Go join. I don't know what kind of music I'm assuming. I don't know. I think it's rock. Start a band. Get in a band. Meet your other bandmates. Now's the time. And practice your music in your off time. But have that paycheck. Always have the paycheck, boo-boos. Don't just stop and assume that the creative endeavor, well, it'll just work itself out. Not all the time. And you, you can't be that creative when you're hungry and you're terrified of how you're going to pay the bills. That's just number one. I was always hustling for the check to pay the bills, so that I could sit down and write jokes. I, you know what I'm saying? Even at my brokest, there was always, I knew like, all right, dude, I've got this thing, the side hustle. <laughs> you, you have your side hustles, man. You got to have the side hustle. You walk some dogs, babysit. Now with the uh, Inst- Instacart, I had I have millennials constantly delivering Postmates, Instacart, all this shit to me. N- uh, drive for fucking whoever, Lyft, Uber, whatever. There's there's all kinds of side hustles now. So, and then there will come a time, and here's the thing: so there will be a time when you make your leap of faith. That's the big time, right? There's the now. Here's the problem: so you're right. There's there's all this in between of like having your side hustle, and then in your off time, you're doing your your creative endeavor, and then there comes a time, there does come a time, where you have to take your leap of faith. And a lot of people miss that window, and the leap of faith usually comes in your 20s or your early 30s, okay? Now, can it not come later in life? No. But it's easier then before you have a family and a mortgage, etc. Thank you, Bitsy. <clears throat> the leap of faith occurs when... You've been at this game long enough, you have enough contacts, you know that you know enough about the business and you have enough gigs, you know, lined up or whatever it is that you can make most of your living, maybe not even all of it, but just cover 60% of your life with the creative thing. Okay. But still have your side hustles going and that, that's when you take the leap of faith or maybe 50, 50, I would say. 50% is the biz. 50% is your side hustles. And that's when you take your leap. That's when I do it on there. Um, and then fucking hold on. <laughs> Hang on tight, dude. Because uh, then, then it really gets real, right? And then your back's against the wall and that's when you'll make uh, decisions. But stay, stay in the incubation as, as long as you can of having some kind of a day job until you really feel confident that you can... You can make a living. I mean, I didn't take, I was a, when I quit my full-time job to be a full-time comedian, I had a great day job. I was a writer. I was, I was, no, I was head of development at a company. I was 28 years old. Well, was I? 32, 32. I stopped. and became a full-time comic, actually. So I was a creative person. I was a writer. I was making great money, great money, benefits, you name it, everything. And I was like, nah, I can't do it. (laughs) I quit. And I quit, uh, but it's when I had stuff lined up, guys. It's when I had like prospects. It wasn't like just blind faith. So anyway, there you go. Yeah. When did you realize you had to sacrifice the stable? Yeah. You, 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 and here's the thing: if you're a creative person, the thought of a nine to five just isn't for you. You know that it, you, you won't be doing it forever because you, you, the inclination is so strong to get out of it. You know, and surround yourself with people, friends. Who support you i can 't tell you enough how thankful I am to have people like Tom and um, and i 'll always be thankful this girl, April Macy, who brought me out as her feature act, and she was really pushing me too, and uh, a bunch of other friends and people encouraging me along the way like i t- 'm telling you, dude, sometimes when you can 't muster up the courage to do something if you have a friend that can like pull you <laughs> along. Uh, that is worth its weight in gold so surround yourself with people who are hustling too you know and don't listen to the haters man fuck the haters don't listen to those scary little chickens they're just scared they're scared most of the time haters scared because you know they have to look at their own stuff that they ain't doing you know what i'm saying you feel me i'm talking about okay okay So you don't have to choose between your art or your job, but you do have to do both simultaneously until you're stable enough to take the leap of faith. Okay. Oh, and save up money. Get some savings before you do take your leap. That's another huge one. I had a lot of money uh, in the bank when I became a full-time comic because I knew that it would cost that I would be poor. Um, And I made a lot of money doing that great gig. So I had a lot socked away. So when I came out, making nothing. I had a nice, I had a cushion. So just try to mitigate. And and also it's, it's also very individual how much anxiety uh, every person can take. For me, it was pretty small. So I made sure to have a lot of money socked away. I made sure to keep my cost of living very low. I always kept a real small life so that I knew that my nut, my monthly nut was really low when I was starting out. You know, don't go, don't go renting the nice house or the nice cars and shit when you when you're broke, man. Get that shit later when you got your money. But <clears throat> um, yeah, keep everything kind of manageable. So even if you have a lean month, it's not going to like totally, totally kill you. So there you go. I hope that helps, little boo-boos. And, and I, you're, listen, your parents are not going to often be the source of inspiration for stuff like this only because they are terrified that you're going to fail and they want the best for you most of the time. And that's why they're telling you to do the practical thing with your life. Uh, It's just because it's, you know, it's, it is safer. Let's be real. Being an electrician is probably a lot more stable than being a musician, but you know, it's your life. It's your life. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? You're going to wonder what if that's, that's the failure is the wonder of what if, the failure to me is the person who is sitting there going, "Someday I'm gonna write that great novel. Someday I'm gonna. If only I, you know, if only I had the time. If only I had this and that." It's like there's never perfect time. There's never. It's never good. Nothing's ever optimal for you. I mean, even before I fucking sat down and do this podcast, I won't go into detail, but there's a million things that I probably, you know, had to deal with. I was like, just. Sh- Yeah, <laughs> prioritize. <laughs> you gotta prioritize. Shit. Yeah. Okay. This is a family question. Uh very interesting. This person writes Uh when I was very young my parents split and remarried, gifting me with two half siblings and two step siblings. During this time, my mother also went to prison. Yuck in parentheses. (laughs) Due to all of this instability, I have always been the fixer in my family and have always tried to create as much stability in my own life as possible. My siblings have always depended on me to fix their issues as well as my own. I have recently been gifted with three nephews and niece from my siblings. I absolutely love my niece and nephews and have always wanted a bunch of kids of my own. However, my boyfriend and I found out that we will probably never be able to have kids of our own. Consequently, I have thrown myself wholeheartedly into being an aunt and getting my life so that we can adopt one day. Fantastic. I work for an amazing company and have been able to work my way up from a part-time cashier to now working in the corporate office and making a grown-up salary. Fantastic. I'm 24 of the youngest of my siblings. When I told my siblings that I got a huge promotion, their reaction was to tear me down. (laughs) I hear a lot of, well, we can't all be as lucky as you. I take great offense to this as I worked really hard to get to where I am in both my personal life and my career. However, all of my siblings have kids and are working part-time, if at all. When I stand up for myself and push back even a little, they take away my time with my nephews and niece. I am being blackmailed by these emotional vampires. My boyfriends and parents are always there to build me up and bring me back to reality and my successes after my siblings bring me down, which is all that keeps me sane. So how do I take care of these emotional vampires without alienating my wonderful nieces and nephews? Any words of wisdom? Thanks. Yes. So here's the reality, my love, Uh, is that these are your nieces and nephews. These are not your biological children, and even though you might be a really ideal parent for them, um, uh, maybe more so than their own parents. You're not the, unfortunately, the, uh, the end all be all the decide the decision making person in their life. So what you're going to have to do if you want to spend time with them is to play by the, uh, the rules of the parents. And what that means is deflecting a lot of their negative stuff. So, uh, you know, let's say you, you, and it's also not bringing up (laughs) the stuff that, you know, they're going to crap on. Uh, let's say you get a promotion and you're super proud of it. You don't want to bring it up to them because you know what they're going to do, right? You know, they're going to be haterish. They're not gonna celebrate you. They're gonna, you're going to be met with, uh, dog, dog shit reactions. So, don't don't bring it up. You know, you can't get uh, blood from a stone. Right. And, I, and, and, and as I was saying, the top of the show is that, y- you know, we have to also accept what is and the limitations of certain people in our lives. And the fact is, your your siblings, for whatever reason, have resentment, envy going on maybe about what, what you got. And uh and that's just it. And there's nothing you can do about it. You can't control them. You can't change them. So we must accept their limitations. And if you want to hang out with your nieces and nephews, you're gonna have to eat shit a little bit. And if they say something snipey, you know, you can say, Well, thank you for your uh thank you for your opinion. That's when I hear that you're supposed to say to narcissists and stuff. Oh, well that is your opinion. Or thank you. Thank you for your opinion. Um, you know, avoid the topics that you know will make them shitty. And you have to play by their rules, unfortunately. And don't look to them for emotional support or for any kind of po- just whatever, you know. Keep it minimal. Talk about the weather, talk about sandwiches, talk about lollipops, talk about whatever. Don't talk about real shit with those people. That's the thing, you know. You gotta be pick and choose who you give your real stuff to, right? Ugh. Ugh. They ain't worth that. Nasty. They ain't worth it. But yeah, you're gonna have to eat shit a little bit and tolerate the uh the a holery if you wanna see your uh, your relatives. And you're gonna adopt your own. So that's exciting. You know, that's exciting. So uh yeah, look to that. Okay, one last one. Ay, ay, yay. This one came in. Oh well, no, I don't wanna do that one. That's too long. Sorry guys. <laughs> changed my mind. I did. I changed it. Ay ay, ay. All right. It's too long. That's too long. Okay, here it goes. Hi, Mommy. Um, she writes, this woman writes, I was diagnosed with BPD a few years ago and after a lifetime of extreme emotional instability. Uh, that's borderline personality disorder, BPD, failed relationships and overall unhappiness. Three years ago, I was deep in the shit, lost my job, lost love of my life, was evicted, suffered a miscarriage in the span of two months. And then after that, I got help. After completing an extensive dialectical behavior therapy program, I am happy to report that I am well on my way to getting my life I have a great apartment, great friends. I've repaired relationships with my family and even started my own business, a clothing line. My jeans are higher and tighter than they've ever been. For as long as I can remember, I've always hated kids and never wanted them. They just aren't for me. But since the miscarriage of the unexpected pregnancy, I've wondered what having a child would do to me mentally and how having a BPD mother would affect a child People with BPD are at a high risk of relapse while pregnant, and quite honestly, I'm not sure bringing another life into this world is worth potentially risking mine and undoing all the important work I've done for my mental health. Also, is it responsible to have a child knowing I have a mental illness and that I may not be the best parent for that child? I am fairly certain my own mother has undiagnosed BPD, and she refuses to accept And how she treated me growing up has made my therapist a rich woman. (laughs) I am leaps and bounds more emotionally regulated than she is now, but I would never want someone else to feel the way I did growing up. After a lot of soul searching lately, I've realized that this is a true reason I don't want kids. As someone who grew up with a BPD mother, I wonder what your take on my outlook is. Should BPD women have children? I love to know what the real personality champs thinks about this. It's not sexual, actually, from London, Ontario. Oh, home of the beef. That's right. I I, I'm an Ontario person too, from Windsor. There you go. Um. So you're asking a general question. Should BPD women in general have children? That I don't. I don't know. You know. I think. I think borderline personality disorder, from what I understand, is a really, really difficult uh, thing to treat. Um, it takes a long time and you have to be consistently in treatment from what I understand for it to really make an impact. And it sounds like that's fantastic that you've undergone a lot of the the work involved in overcoming borderline personality disorder. It's very difficult. Um, so I think what you're really asking is, should I have a kid? (laughs) And you know, and here's the thing I would say, um, you know, as someone who did have a borderline mom, it was really, really bad, really rough. Oh. <laughs> My initial reaction would be like, no, don't please God don't because it's a, it's a, it's a lot and uh, it's a fucking lot having a borderline mom, but, but you, okay. We're not talking about everyone in general. We're talking about you. If, uh, listen, if this email were to say, I, I've always wanted children, um, it's my burning desire. It feels like it's beyond my control. I, I can't help this need. Because uh, I'll tell you, you know, for me personally, I don't know how other women feel about it. But like when I knew I wanted my kid, it was like this weird uh, primordial pull towards it. Like it was out of my control. It was like my, my brain flipped a switch and I, my body was like, I have to be pregnant right now. Like it was just this primal need to have a child. There was, there was no logical (laughs) mechanism overriding that whatsoever. And I don't know if that's for everyone, but that was for me. I just very much knew that I wanted to be a mother. So, um, and I think that's a really common fear with people who have mental illness uh, if you grew up even with a narcissistic mother or an alcoholic parent or parents with any sort of mental illness or like severe dysfunction in your house, the fear is, and a lot of people don't really say this out loud, I don't know why, but the fear is, oh my God, I'm going to pass this on to my kid. What if I'm the same way to my my child that my mother was to me? And that's a totally valid fear because that's what fucking happens to people, Okay. That's why people are in prison and that's why motherfuckers are uh you know doing drugs and wanting to kill themselves because it goes untreated this mental illness gets passed down to generation to generation and you know that's why everyone's fucking out of their minds so uh yeah you should be worried about having a kid that's that's great the fact that you're even sending me this email means that you're cognizant of it and that you've got the help, great. If you can maintain this mental health thing that you've got going, if you can promise to me and 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 swear out pinky swear and swear on the Bible that you stay in therapy, maybe, maybe you could have a kid. Yeah. But if you're not I mean, I again this is contingent upon you really staying in the programs and really staying connected to to a therapist who can deal with this stuff because it comes up it all comes up anyway the point is uh, i too had the same fear because my mom was a borderline uh i myself am as far as i know i'm not uh <laughs> no no one's told me that yet but um but that was a big fear too like am i gonna pass on the crazy and which is why i'm in therapy and why i work through a lot of my history to make sure that i'm not doing the same stuff unconsciously and this is not to blame people ever it's all unconscious it's all an unconscious process. Um, you know, it's not, no one's actively trying to screw over their kids. I don't think not. I mean, yes, there are evil douchebags, but for the most part, we're unconsciously doing the stuff that was done to us and voila, there you have it. Um, but yeah, I, you know, uh, mental illness, addiction, all, I don't know. Like I, that's a tough call. Um, that's a real tough call, but for you, I would say, ask, ask your, Ask your shrink if you can. I would ask your ask your therapist. Don't ask me. I'm just a fucking douchebag comedian with a crazy mom. I don't know. (laughs) Ask your shrink. That's the right answer, right? Oh my god. Ask your therapist. That's not to say that people with borderline personality disorder can't have uh, a structured, meaningful, um, productive life. They, from what I understand, if they're treated, the key is treatment and pretty early in life, you don't want to let it go untreated until they get older and and it's really far gone. If you can get treated, yeah, your your life will get way better. And if you can be medicated, you know, great, even better. Ugh, man. That's the whole struggle, isn't it? Just not doing to to other people what was done to you. I feel like that's the that's the whole goal of this, man. I'm just trying to just trying to stop the the patterns, trying to, trying to get my life so that my babies, my babies get their lives, my dogs, my child, everyone else gets their life. So there you go. All right. I think that's it, guys. Email me. That's dbropodcast at gmail.com. If you have any questions, that's podcast at gmail.com. Come see me. Do stand up. Uh, in those cities I mentioned at the top of the show, St. Louis, I'm doing Charlotte. Um, what's the other one? I'm doing Nashville. We're doing your mom's house live uh, in October. Is it October 8th? And uh, yeah, that's it. All right, guys. Until next time. That's been Bro. I'll see you next week. Now what? I don't know philosophize with it. With, It's Christina P, aka Miss Jeans. This ain't your mom's house. It's a different theme. Gotta be critically thinking. Like you caught up at a cocktail party, our thoughts start to sink in. John Locke, or was it Socrates? Aristotle or Plato, maybe Hippocrates? Got us talking all properly, topically. Just a comedian discussing these philosophies. Serious questions, silly people. What's that? What's that? That's deep, bro.